0: Hello, Internet. Welcome uh, to the uh, the Vox Podcast live well or it's live now but it's recorded when you hear it i'm alive from um that's right from the uh world headquarters in uh, brea california and uh just want to say as always thank you for tuning in um if you're interested in uh, participating in our community several ways to do that number one um if you want to show us a bit of love uh, itunes reviews and ratings are always appreciated sharing the podcasts we're we're finding tons of uh of uh, traction in uh, people sharing podcasts with uh, friends and neighbors and and, uh, provoking interesting conversations. Uh, Just heard another... Sorry this week about that. So, um thank you for for doing that. Encourage you to do that. Um 81 of you have joined our support team, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Um you can find out more on Patreon. We're um we've got a special podcast we're cooking up for you. Uh at certain levels there there is at the uh at the $5 support level a very special gift that um um will burn an image into your mind. That is impossible to get out of your mind. Um, <laughs>
1: Solid branding—that's what that is. Is, is
0: that yeah? <laughs> and um, and so so uh, you can do that as well. We also have a church um, in uh, North Orange County, California, and if you are ever um, somebody who is—I uh, love what one church calls uh, its podcasters. They call po- they call them podrishners. <laughs> so if you are a podrishner and you ever show up uh, to El Dorado High School. And uh, uh, on a Sunday morning, I would love to say hello, Andy would love to say hello, and uh, then you can judge between us more accurately. Um, <laughs> so so all of that is out there, uh, and then we have, of course, uh, we're, we're live streaming on Facebook now, we're Facebook-living yeah. uh, our services that, at 9 and 11, yeah. is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct, just at 9 o'clock, we're currently oh, streaming. Oh, just at 9. Yeah, we stream. Uh, 9 PST. 9 Pacific Standard Time. Yep. On the Vox Community Facebook page on Sunday mornings.
0: Yes. So if you're interested on why we don't do a video podcast with yours truly, you can tune in on Facebook Live and realize, oh, when he fills the stage, he fills the (laughs) stage. Um, It's just
1: your big heart. That's all it is.
0: Sure. Just
1: such a massive heart.
0: Yes. Um, So so anyway, all of that, and I know it's routine for all of you, but we're constantly getting new listeners, and so just want to keep them updated. All right. So... Um, we uh, I'm gonna t- title this podcast episode, Welcome to the Resistance. and if Muse would have given us licensing, we'd be playing the song uprising right now. so mm-hmm. if you if you're at your computer or you're at a place where you can pull up Spotify um i need you just to have that song on right now put uprising on right now and you'll get a you'll get a feel for kind of if there was a sonic version of this podcast episode that's what it would be nice um now we're going to talk about politics and 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 here the here like the three reactions i get when we talk about politics all right anything i put on uh, social media or this is like okay aren't we done can't we be done now With politics, aren't we done? I'm tired of the snark. I'm tired of the controversy. I'm tired of it, of the division. Uh, So that's one reaction. The second reaction is, hey, Mike, uh, stick to preaching. Um, Stay in your lane. We love you as a big, warm, cuddly um, Bible preacher, but please don't start spouting off other opinions. Um, Or, or the third reaction is genuine engagement and hey, grateful to talk about this stuff. So. Uh for for the number ones who are just tired of this, um, go ahead and put on uprising and uh go to sleep. Uh number two, <laughs> uh if if you think that uh there are no political implications to following our, our Messiah Jesus and that you think somehow politics and preaching aren't connected, I can't help you. Maybe tune into another podcast. Joel Olstein I hear is great. Um And then, uh, and then you'll probably make a lot more money too. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, you probably will. And, uh, and for, for number three, I'm getting peppered. So, so we have, we have several ways that we get questions. So one is from our community on Sundays, people texting questions. We get questions on Facebook. We have like two or three different Facebook pages. We have Twitter. Um, and, and I'm getting variations of the following question and I'm getting lots of them uh and by lots i mean two or three um no i don't know i don't know how many is but
1: uh, <laughs> lots lots is lots
0: yes lots is lots so but but they're all about how so so here's here's a direct question i got sunday morning one of the things i love that we do on sundays we start sometimes we start our services with q a where people text in from the week before questions that they're wondering about or things that they're wondering while there's teaching or singing or whatever so i got this question. Hey, Mike. How do we, as a church, respond to Trump being our president? So that was the question, and in mm-hmm. that, in the Q and A format and a service, I mean, literally, you're taking thirty seconds, you know, to answer that question. Um, and so my answer was, well. You do it, you, you respond to Trump being the president in the same way that you respond to Hillary uh, being the president or Obama being the president or Bush being the president. You support what you can. Um, you challenge what you cannot support and and be vigorous in providing um, and creating a prophetic alternative, a counterculture. Uh, and then thirdly, we, we engage in political discourse and activity, but we do it um, as, as citizens of the kingdom of God, not citizens of a party or um, or a political uh, persuasion. So, so that was my quick, like, down and dirty answer. But I, but I, I was thinking about. It and I thought, you know, there's some stuff to explore here that I think is really good. Now, now, a couple of things. First, um, I think it's obvious this questioner is not a huge fan, and uh, a lot of our listeners, and um, I think at least half of our church community falls into this. At least half of our church community falls into this camp of like this is awful, um we are horrified about what's happening, and it's been like three weeks in yeah um but because uh, our church community committed one uh, our 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 kind of tagline is we want to be safe to belong, well, that means we don't have to all agree politically, and so you know we we don't want to just be trump bashers. Um, and or just give voice to Trump bashers. There are Trump supporters in our community, there are Trump supporters in our audience. And so I want to make it really clear that these three points are true regardless of who sits in the office. Mm-hmm. See, there, there's a difference between respecting the office and respecting the person that personifies the office. And so it's like our parents, when it says honor your father and mother, it's not saying that your mother and father, the real ones, are honorable. It's saying that the position of mother and father is worth honor, um, and and uh, even though the reality of mother, your mother and father, may not match up to the position, makes sense. Yeah. Sure. So so okay. I, I think there's the, the the respect that we're to give the office, the prayer uh, that we're to give the office, even even if that's divorced from how we think the the person holding the office is doing. I also think, and I and I don't know why I, I feel this way. I'm, uh, we're studying this thing called the enneagram, which is some new age. No, it's not new age, but everyone <laughs> thinks it's new age because it it's like triangles and it pentagram ish and it's weird. But so, yeah, nine point shape, nine point shape. Which, um, anyway, uh, and, uh, and 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 I'm I'm realizing that my enneagram number. Um the, the the number is um a number eight, which is a challenger. So I'm always attracted to things that challenge things. Big surprise. Shocking. <laughs> and so um and so I'm learning this about myself and I'm realizing that I've always and I don't know if this is um a good thing or a bad thing or both, but I've always found it um necessary in my own head to counter the prevailing christian subculture voice regarding the political environment, so for instance, when Obama was reelected I was in an elder meeting, and literally the there, the people around the table were um uh, incredibly disheartened, incredibly disappointed, and that's just fine. But but there was a sense, even as I got onto social media, that the world is falling, that we can't believe Romney didn't win, you know, it's four more years of this. And 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 I felt like what what somebody needed to say was, hey, guys, um, Jesus is still on the throne, we're going to be fine, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. To provide a countering voice, and and in this instance, when the the national narrative is that uh, white evangelicals uh, have anointed uh, President Trump um, as not only the president, but some of them have gone so far as to you know anoint him Christian and you know God's choice and whatever else. I feel like there has to be a countering voice there too to say, well, <laughs> there's a difference between respecting the office and respecting the person who holds it. Yeah. So please understand, if you're a Trump supporter, I'm not digging at Trump. This is this is a posture I think Christians need to embody regardless of who is in office. There always needs to be a resistance. There mm-hmm. always needs to be a resistance. Mm-hmm. And these three points are always true. Right. Support what you can, challenge what you cannot, and be the prophetic alternative, but do so from a kingdom perspective. Right.
1: And I think one of the additional things you said on Sunday was that you know our Christian and, and Jesus identity is. Don't, is hey, it, don't don't oh, okay. jump ahead.
0: I, it's coming. B- uh, b- uh, yep, exactly. Uh, so, Andy Bear, see, Andy never knows what we're going to talk. about. I don't. So how am I? Supposed he just to shows out? up. He just shows up. <laughs> so so here here as as we look at the election. So please. Um, please understand, this is not a political conversation. It's a conversation about politics, and that's a there's a difference. There's this isn't partisan. This is more of how does the church live um, a, in its role as peacemakers um when you have the unbelievably divided community um, that we have and, and the community that's divided is also, and this doesn't get reported a lot, it's not only between uh, older and younger, although it certainly is that. I mean the the Millennials voted way differently than the Boomers. You also have um, religious versus irreligious. So two-thirds of the nuns that, you know the very famous nun category when it asks about religious preference, uh, two thirds of them voted for hillary um then you have in in even evangelicalism you have um uh, you have uh, 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump, which was more than uh, those, more than um, supported Bush or McCain or Robney, all right? So they came out in massive force, okay. but about that same percentage of people um, who are African Americans and Hispanic evangelicals voted against Trump. Yeah. So you, you've got generational conflict, you have religious, irreligious conflict, and then even in the religious section, you've got division between white and non-white evangelicals. Evangelicals, so to to say the world is a bit chaotic right now is is to say a kind of a massive understatement. <laughs> a little bit. So what I want to do is I want to look at these three just quick things and 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 at, at least as I'm trying to be uh, a peacemaker, um, some thoughts about hey how how could this practically look? So as always, we want your feedback. Would love your thoughts. So. Support what we can, challenge what we cannot, and pro- become a prophetic counterculture, and do so um, from uh, the fullness of our identity as citizens of another kingdom. Right, and and so I want to start there with Andy, um, because because we'll all nod yes if we're if you're a Jesus follower and you're listening, you you will nod to the well. Of course, our identity is more fundamental than Republican or Democrat. But I don't always I don't see that actually being true. <laughs> yeah, I see I see I see um, I see in fact that our p- political uh, leanings become more important. Sure. Um, uh-huh. And so so like I I I was reading online uh, an article and I don't remember where it came from, uh, but there was a quote that said this. So this is written from this is. This is, uh, I think it was Philip Yancey, who is a Christian author, was quoting a friend of his who said this. So this is the friend speaking, Philip reporting, me reading. Okay. Throughout the last few days, I have thought about how much easier it is for me to be a left-of-center, leaning progressive than it is for me to be a Christian. So this is written right after the election. As a political party member, I can vent and debate, mock and obfuscate others' policies. But as a Christian, I must lean in and listen. I must embrace and include. While the political part of me seeks revenge, let the markets crash, watch Putin's advances with a weakened NATO— um, the Christian in me must pray for the welfare of the city or country in the world. The claims of Christ demand that I seek things that make for peace. Mm. Oh my goodness. So, so to me that was immediately challenging to, yes, of course, protesting is uh, democratic protesting can be a good thing. Protesting can be a beautiful thing. Um, but, but it can also be a thing that dominates. Sure. The, the perpetual enrage um or outrage excuse me inrage uh, the perpetual outrage um that we have towards our president or towards the president's opponents or whatever i mean that can dominate our thinking that can dominate our activism that can dominate and totally focus and remove the focus of kingdom stuff now of course politics is part of kingdom stuff but kingdom stuff is bigger than politics mm-hmm. so so you know when 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 the writer of hebrews talks in Hebrews 11, there's this big list of, of people that um, demonstrated great faith. And, and then the writer says, "...all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth." people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own if they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had the opportunity to return instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he's prepared a city for them hmm. now w- when we hear country w- we're not we're we're totally disconnected from the kind of tribal allegiance that following the, the the Old Testament covenant, God uh, demanded one leave, um, and so when Abraham very famously gets called to leave his father's household and his father's lands, I mean that that is that is a massive massive shift in identity because you were you were defined by your father's household and your father's land.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or when Paul uh, in the book of Philippians says our citizenship is in heaven, now he's not saying he's not saying hey guys. We're just passing through. This stuff doesn't matter. Let it all slide. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, and he, and he's writing to a colony. Okay, Philippi was a colony of uh, that was founded upon Roman soldiers who had served their time and in exchange for that had received their citizenship in Rome. So their citizenship was the most important defining thing for them. So when Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, what's he saying? He's saying, hey, hey just so we're clear. Yes, of course you're Roman citizens, but that's not your ultimate allegiance, right? That's the point. It's not our citizenship is in heaven. So just be passive and God's gonna do whatever God's gonna do and the world's gonna burn. And no, no, no. He's not saying that at all. He's saying which which is it allegiance to Caesar or allegiance to Jesus that's the more important allegiance? Well, mm. all the Christians in the room are gonna go, well, of course it's allegiance to Jesus.
1: Right.
0: But that isn't always the case, and so so today. Both parties um, have so much ammo against each other, and there's so much that is um, energizing their bases so that that they're moving in opposite directions to the extremes of their party's beliefs, right? There's not a huge moderating voice in the middle that's saying, hey, can't we all get along? But this is exactly where followers of Jesus have to come in. Oddly enough, and this is so this is so ridiculously countercultural, the way that we one of the ways we become peacemakers in culture, and one of the ways that we bridge the gap between the political extremes, is by and I love what one writer says by withholding complete loyalty from either party. Hmm. So so um, and, and the writer goes on Christians have a divided loyalty committed to helping our society thrive, while giving ultimate loyalty to the kingdom of god so so in a sense the kingdom is not the republican party and the kingdom is not the democratic party no matter which party you naturally lean into and it's precisely because neither party holds ultimate allegiance that we can actually bridge the between the two mm-hmm. make sense yeah so this is absolutely absolutely critical in fact uh, a, a pastor in new york named tim keller who is very very uh, well known and, and articulate he was he was um Arguing in a sermon, not arguing but suggesting that um, the the early Christians that lived um, not only in uh, Israel but as the early church grew beyond um, its Jewish borders into the Gentile world dominated by Rome, that there were there were several things that characterized the earliest Christians, and that many of these held were held in tension with not only the prevailing cultural attitude, but the prevailing political attitude. So for instance, uh, they opposed uh, bloodthirsty sports and violent entertainment, such as the gladiator games. They opposed serving in the military. They opposed abortion and infanticide. Um, They empowered women, which was, which, um, which was unique. They opposed uh, sex outside of marriage. Um, they opposed the homosexual activity that was very common in the Roman Empire. They uh, encouraged radical support for the poor. They encouraged the mixing of races and classes. They insisted that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Now, what's interesting is if you go through that list and mark conservative or liberal today, right, wh- which would you get? Well, right. you'd get you'd get some would be classic liberal um, and some would be classic conservative, right? right. In other words, they transcended they transcended the the boundaries of either party to to in order to be the bridge they had to almost um uh withhold support from either from either party mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah, they're, they're, right. And so that's what it means to have uh your allegiance and identity be primarily found in your jesus following yeah, is that is that okay? Sure. Okay. So you're left leaning, you're right leaning, fantastic. Um, but if your Jesus following is filtered through that grid, rather than that grid being filtered through your Jesus following, we're in trouble. And so there is such a thing as um, as being um, so so uh, identified with certain political views that you you only tell one side of the story, and. Um, and so I love this. So, so I, I just I read this um, on Twitter. I thought it was really powerful. Um, if the church is not political, it is irrelevant to the world that God loves. But if the church is partisan, it becomes a tool of empire. Hmm. Becoming political means we are engaged in how our society is organized. If we want to love our neighbor, we will naturally get involved in building the systems that lead to flourishing and fighting to change unjust systems that target the poor, the weak, the marginalized. We can't pretend to love our neighbor while ignoring the realities that hurt them. But the moment we tip into wholesale support for one party against the other, we take our eyes off of neighbor and join the system as an apologist for only half the story. Neither party is fully aligned with God's kingdom. And we need to find a way to engage the full reality of society without selling out to one side. I thought that was, I thought that was very, very profound. Yeah. In other words, what we're saying, and this is what the early church embodied is that conservative, um, or progressive can't, doesn't capture the fullness of what it means to be, uh, a person in the kingdom of God. Now, now, again, everyone's going to agree with this. No, one's going to sit here and go, oh no, but, but, but. We're not known <laughs> for being people. Our public witness is not this. Right. Our public witness is not bridge building. Our public witness is, at least for some, it is conservative white re- evangelical equals conservative white Republican. Mm-hmm. And because of that, countering voices still need to be heard. So how do we engage in political discourse and activity um, from a position of fullness in our identity being in Jesus and our, and, and a position that says um, yes it is important who is in the white house and is an important it is important who's in the supreme court but none of those things are ultimate you know even if even if let's say let's say you're conservative even if you have the trump the conservative congress the conservative senate the conservative supreme court nominee all of that is not going to solve the world's problems. Or if if you're progressive, um, you know, <laughs> having Hillary in office with uh, with a left leaning uh, Congress and Senate, a left leaning Supreme Court. That's not going to solve all the world's problems. Now, the right. action, the, so, so, but, the, but there is a temptation to believe that it will. Well, well it'll certainly make it better, right. w- is the argument. And, and that's where we succumb to this pragmatic thing that I think is so toxic to, uh, in some cases, to Jesus following. Mm-hmm. Because the, 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 the scriptures are so clear about who the real enemy turns out to be. The real enemy is not the other party. The real enemy is not the other party's leader. The real enemy is not the political agenda of the other party. The real enemy is something called the powers and the principalities in the scriptures. And so the powers and the principalities sit behind all earthly governments, according to Jesus. The powers and the principalities sit behind uh, racism and greed and violence and hatred and rape and murder. I mean, like if it's flesh and blood, according to the Bible, you're to fight for it and not against it. Right, yeah. um, that our enemy isn't isn't Pelosi and it's not Trump, it's not Obama, it's not Hillary, uh, it's not Mitch McConnell, uh, and 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 everyone will agree. All the Jesus followers will say, absolutely, absolutely, they're not the real enemy. But think about the vitriol, think about the angst, think about the hatred, think about the trolling, think about the snark, think about the the divisions and family. And I just read this morning someone divorced their husband um of, over his hus- uh, support of Trump, and you know who knows, but. But think about all of the division and, and all Christians have done, not all, but, but it seems that what Christians have done have just added to the noise because A, we've forgotten our ultimate allegiance and B, we've forgotten who the real enemy is. And so it, when you forget who the real enemy is, if, if if you forget it's not flesh and blood and you turn the enemy into flesh and blood, well, f- why do we do that? Because flesh and blood is easier to hit. Mm-hmm. It, it's either easier to provoke, it's either easier to resist, mm-hmm. right? But the scripture talks about the weapons we wage war with are not the weapons Uh, That the world uses the weapons we wage war with are things like baptism and um, service and virtue and the power of the spirit and weakness and meekness and humility and right. Those are the. But none of us are none of us are compelled by those things. We're compelled by political power. Mm -hmm. We're compelled by political protest or activism. And I'm I'm fine Mm -hmm. with all of it. But it just seems like the conversation has taken it to the point where those things have become ultimate. And because those things have become ultimate, we. the division that we have rather than a group of people who transcend Mm -hmm. right either party who betray each party for the sake of standing in the middle ground
1: right right
0: am i preaching yet yeah you're preaching a little bit a little bit over here okay yep so that was point one yep Support what we can challenge what we cannot and become a prophetic alternative and then do so from a position of kingdom fullness yeah so so my view of the world isn't hopeless. My view of the world isn't despairing. My view of the world isn't mm-hmm. um nihilistic. Right. Nihilistic. nihilistic. To say yeah, it. I was gonna
1: say Neil. Speaking of, I follow Arby's wow. uh nihilist on Twitter and it's unbelievable. But funny, <laughs> that's the last, last Arby's time I, nihilist? Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, huge tangent. But can I can I say something about yes. everything you just said? Yes, you can. I I do think though The interesting thing about this is I was reading about this and I'm seeing the effects in other ways is and I've heard some other folks talk about this on other podcasts is how there's almost like a filtering that's now happened because of this. Like because of the amount of division that has occurred, it's almost given more voice and more awareness to the minority that outrageously disagrees with it. You know, like prior, it was just like a mix. Like everything was kind of mud and gray. It's like, well, yeah, you kind of have that view. You kind of have that view. And people weren't really pushing back that hard. I mean, yeah, you had some radical like, oh, Obama's a Muslim. He's Satan. And there was always those opinions, but they felt like they were on the wide sides. Right. Now it feels like those have moved into these large majorities right. that are really fighting loudly. And now it's. It, I feel like there's there's so many more, this minority group of, of Christian folks that are trying to operate in that transcendent space. Right. You know, that are trying to kind of that's be right. like, this isn't, so this isn't what, what it looks like. That's and That's what we it, want to talk it's about. It's just so fascinating.
0: How do you right? operate in that space? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I think they're, when, when the fruit of the Spirit... So this is, what, this is what Jesus' followers are to look like. All right? So love is number one, and then joy, and then peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And you're like, hmm... Do do any of those words describe our churches? Do Mm -hmm. any of those words describe our preaching? Do any of those words describe my character? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it just seems like, it it seems like perhaps we have, um, we've so diluted the Jesus call to, uh, to radical allegiance to him and loyalty to him. And and we've suffused it with, well, following Jesus means I am a left leaner in politics, or following Jesus means I'm a right leaner in politics. Right. And, and and I think all of those opinions are fine. It's just like we keep saying, it's when they become ultimate. And how do you know if they're ultimate? Well, how much time and energy do you spend on them? Right. How much time and energy do you devote to, to becoming more like Jesus and following him? And how much time and energy do you just spend on being upset about What's happening in politics right, right i mean it's it's a really a simple, simple sort of thing. If we took all of this energy and we took all of this angst and we took all of this money, imagine the good we could do regardless of who sits in the office right right
1: i mean it it just feels like there's lordship that was developed in this all this happening, and it's kind of when when Jesus talks about you know you can't serve two masters it it feels like that because it just starts to divide where. All of a sudden, conservative right becomes like that entire system that's governed by a, a certain authority. We rely on a, a, a uniformed authority to help dictate that system, and we follow it. And if we follow that, that becomes a measure of faith and pragmatic like steps towards it. Right. And and same with the opposition. And I think that's what's interesting is we've made master out of these different opinions, and we feel like we belong to those communities because of the because yep. of the community around it. Right. And I think that's so central where. I think we've really lost view of what lordship looks like. I mean, and that seems like the clear picture he paints with Caesar, because Caesar was such like I am Lord, mm-hmm. and therefore his whole system was supposed to be the savior. Mm-hmm. And so, where mm-hmm. that's so the subversive thing of Jesus, like, no, I'm Lord, and the system I've now handed to you, this will be, you right. know, the how right. my kingdom is known. Right. And I, I think you're absolutely right, and that's in how we have lost sight of that.
0: But lordship, so it's interesting. Lordship language only works when you have another claimant for Lord. So the yeah. reason the early church used um, some, of the, some of the Caesar words was because the, they were insisting you had to pick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Shane Claiborne wrote a book, uh, Claiborne wrote a book, uh, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, called Jesus for President. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting title because how would you update lo- Lordship, in your words, uh, today, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jesus is the Supreme court. Jesus is Congress. Jesus is whatever, but right. okay. Back to, back to, um, uh, our three points, Yes, because, because I think I like how you describe it. How do you, how do you sit in that space? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. First thought, uh, number one, we have to support what we can. There is no, <laughs> there are idiots on both sides and there's no such thing as a perfect president. And so there, you know, it, and it's like when, when people um, could not bring themselves to admit that Obama did some good things, right? You, we've lost, we, you've made this too important. Your opposition has become too important. That's the, this doesn't do anything for common, the common good or flourishing to be able to, to occupy the middle ground says, man, wherever there is truth, wherever there is beauty, wherever there is goodness, wherever there are laws to promote justice and flourishing, we bless and we support. And it doesn't matter who they come from. Mm. What matters is the flourishing and what matters is the love of neighbor, yeah. right? So, so is it possible that President Trump will do good things? You have to say yes. Yeah. Is it possible that President Obama did some great things? You have to say yes. And you also have to say, we won't know for a while, right? We yeah. don't know. Right. And so, so there's, I mean, we've just demonized, we've forgotten who the real enemy is. And so we just demonize each other and that demonization requires us then to never admit that anything good can come out of an ass Yeah. right which which is so ironic when you have this incredible thing in numbers where a donkey aka an ass speaks so so part of uh, assuming that space is is to support what we can to be gracious and yeah. saying no no there there are things that are true and the other side that we don't agree with, and right. there are idiots on our side too. Yep. So, so because what we all do is we take the other side's worst argument and and use our best argument against it. Mm. Um, you know, we take the extreme of the other person or of the other side, and and our kind of normal middle ground, and compare those two. Yeah. And so you realize, no, no, there are extremes in both, and there's truth in both, mm-hmm. and that's why it each has millions of adherents. Yeah. Um, but where we cannot support, we, we not only protest, um, and criticize and resist, but we seek to provide and to create the prophetic alternative, the, the prophetic counterculture. Yeah. Now this, this is where we click into some juicy stuff. All right. Because, I mean, if this hasn't been juicy yet, because... Uh, it requires the forsaking of certain attitudes that have characterized the evangelical subculture, and the embracing of new ones. Okay, mm-hmm. so just a couple of thoughts. I mean, this is all just conversation starter stuff. Um, one is, uh, so, so, how do we how do we hold the space? We we support what we can, but we challenge what we cannot. And beyond protesting and resisting, we provide the counterculture. How do we provide the counterculture? Well, in order to do that, Christians have to forsake their victimization. Like there is this narrative in the Christian subculture, at least that I'm a part of, maybe not where you're at. Where, where, uh, and and President Trump plays on this when he says things like "we can say uh, we can say Merry Christmas again," or churches can talk about politics again as as if they haven't been. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. Um, and and so there there is this energizing in um, in some Christian circles because we felt we've been marginalized and we have been marginalized, right? Media, um, uh, uh, entertainment, education. I mean, a lot of the very big culture makers um, that are institutional in our society is totally relegated religion to, you know, the individual sphere or to the sphere of just backwards rednecked, you know, kind of people. And so there is an, an upswing against that, no question about it. But, um underlying that that upswing has been the sense of victimhood you know it's 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 like um I, i've read this that people feel persecuted because they can't see Merry christmas and then you're you're looking at people christians in syria or christians in iran or or christians in other places in the world that are being put to death i mean what must they what must real christians undergoing real persecution think when american christians sitting in their fat asses from their fat TVs, uh, crying out on their big computers, um, crying out about how persecuted they are. What must those people think of us? Yeah, right. I mean, you they just can't go, even say they're Christian. Right. You, know? you just you just go, no, no, we're not victims. We're never victims. We're never. I mean, seriously, it, it, there is this. There is this. Um, marginalization does not equal victimization. Mm. And 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 are our Jesus followers being marginalized. Sure. Um, Jesus following. Um, if it's sincere is not welcomed in the public square. I get that uh, unless it's very left leaning and then it'll be given a hearing depending on where you stand on homosexuality and where you stand on immigration and abortion and those sorts of things. right so so if it has a it is a very left sort of flavor, then then it's welcome at the table. But um, even though that may be true, That does not mean we're victims, right? Aren't we supposed to be the people that believe that there is a God who sits on the throne? Aren't we to be the people who believe that death isn't the final word? And the worst thing empire can do is put us to death, and that's actually victory. I mean, right? I mean, what's happened to all that? What's happened to Jesus followers being the most joyful, hopeful people who inhabit space in the world from a position of fullness and not emptiness or threat? Right. It doesn't matter. God has never needed cultural privilege to move for freaking sake. Right. You have this incredible, incredible story of, of God. It's like Elijah and these prophets from these false gods, uh of this false god Baal. And and it's a big showdown. And which and they build each each builds an altar. Elijah builds an altar, and the prophets build an altar, and it's like um, which which whichever God we call upon, and and you know uh, fire comes from heaven will show that they're the true God. And, and the story goes, you know whether or not you buy it, the story goes that Elijah was so confident about the power of God. He douses the wood of his altar like three times and water's overflowing and then fire comes down and boom. I mean, it, it's, and, and the whole story of the Bible is God setting the odds against himself just to show it's him and not human strength or human ingenuity that's doing it. Yeah. And so, and then you have the historical precedents. When when does Christianity flourish? And we've talked about this before. It's flourishing in China. It flourished in Russia during the communist regime. I mean, it is. It flourishes in the places where it's the most persecuted, and uh, and and where does the church die? Where right, where does authentic Jesus following? Where's that flame extinguished? Well, oddly enough, it's in the places where it was made the state religion, and so so we're not victims. We're not victims. Being marginalized and allowing for other voices in a pluralistic culture does not mean we're victimized. Right. And so and so there's there's this sense that there the fear. And being threatened isn't, a, isn't a, a habit of the Christian mind, right? It is a love is to be the habit of the Christian mind, right? Yeah. And that we come at the world from a place of fullness. Now think about, and, and this is what the early church was so incredible at. I was just reading about some of the early plagues um, in the Roman Empire. So there was a plague called the Plague of Cyprian, um, uh, and it was in the like two fifties, two sixties, two seventies, it killed two Roman emperors. I mean, it was a huge deal. And Cyprian was a, a leader in the church and he's writing about the plague has, it was hitting in Alexandria and it was like 5,000 people were dying a day and it was just awful. Oh. And he, he, and he goes on, he, he's talking about, he he's talking about how Christians, um, at, at, in great peril to their own health, would serve the plague victims. They'd wash their bodies. They would take care of the dead. Uh, unbelievable. Or you read historical accounts where where the, the, in, in, uh, in Greek culture, um, it was acceptable to expose infants, too. If an infant was unacceptable to you, you could just set it outside the, the village gates, yeah. and uh, it would be fodder for animals or slavers. Slavers yeah. would come through and pick up those mm-hmm. infants and raise them for brothels or for you know ships or whatever yeah well christians were organized platoons of people uh to to become um foster and adoptive homes for all of these infants that had been exposed um uh the the earliest christians uh, um, would, they organized a welfare system for the poorest in Rome that was so effective. We have, we have a record for, of the emperor Julian, um, writing, castigating, um, the Roman priests because they weren't as gracious as the Galileans were. Uh, I mean, it, it's like, this is what they were known for. So they didn't have a vote. They didn't get to say who sat. I mean, these are people that lived and died under Caligula and Nero and Domitian. And and I mean, in some of the most wicked people in the history of the world, they didn't get a vote mm-hmm. on this stuff. Yeah, And yet, because they operated from fullness and joy and love and following Jesus, they made such a stamp on the Roman Empire, right, that, that 300 years go by and Constantine, for reasons that were totally selfish, it seems like, mm-hmm. Christianizes the whole thing yeah and and it's funny that's when that's when christianity lost its power is it when it became when the roman empire became christianized but that's a whole different conversation the early church never saw themselves as victims ever they saw themselves as a colony that sat under a different king that operated by different rules that that was invited to love and serve the world So instead of victimhood, right, we're to move from victimhood to service. And it doesn't matter who's in power, and it doesn't matter... Um, it doesn't matter who sits on the Supreme Court, we will simply love and serve the world regardless. Now, the definition of who's marginalized and who's outcast and who's weak and oppressed and in danger may change on the basis of what administrations in power. So we may pay particular attention to refugees now because there's th- there's an issue, or we may pay more t- a particular attention to Muslims now because there's an issue. Yeah. But, but the posture that we inhabit is the same regardless. We're never victims regardless of whether or not elections go our way or not. Sure. So so moving from victimhood to service is massive. Yeah. What were you going to say? So there was
1: um, some time ago maybe about three or four years ago there's a story about um, a man who was like in his 70s or 80s in Florida and he started setting up camp. It was like in a lot next to his house or something or other and basically just feeding the entire homeless neighborhood that was around him and he kept getting ticket after, ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket like the guy like the local government there like absolutely was refusing him to be able to do this kind of thing hmm. and he was really just like i just don't see the issue with me making food and giving it to people who need it yeah right and it right. was like they were it, i mean it made the news it made national news i mean it was like this guy um was like it, i mean it's he it, to me it's like that's where Something like that is interesting in this conversation because it's like, that's where we see something systematic fight against something that's like, this is the outpouring of service and providing a human need. That's a simple thing. It's a nourishment. It's out of love in a peaceful way. And he pretty, they were, I remember, I I, I don't know the end of the story so that it sucks, (laughs) but I I remember there was like a thing where it was like in 48 hours, we're going to really know what happens because- based on how many tickets he got, he was facing major jail time yeah. for refusing to pay the tickets, for refusing to do all that um, because he's like, I just can't see how this is how this is not allowed. You right. know, and it, right. and it was... It's just, that's that's really interesting to me because that's kind of, well, you, we should be obeying our governing laws and then, well, that means we're limited to this confined way of trying to just live out that very simple act of button service.
0: That's it. That's it. That Which leads us into another point great about this and it's the move from hostility to hospitality mm. right the move from seeing everyone as a threat and being threatened by the other to welcoming yeah and hospitality i mean one of the things that uh people don't realize is that even the word hospitality comes from a greek word that means love of stranger mm. so hospitality isn't technically hospitality to people you know hospitality is only hospitality to people you don't know yeah yeah and, um, and, and so if it's true that every single person's made in the image of God, and if it's true that God so loved them, he gave his one and only son. And if it's true, you know, that we think their image bearing is the most important thing about them, regardless of their religious preference, their sexual orientation, their whatever. Well, then you inhabit that space a bit differently because what you can't do if you view people like that is demonize them. Right, right. That keeps you. That's the positive side of saying who's my enemy. Well, I know they're not my enemy because those are image bearers. Now we may disagree, and I may view them as false, and I may I may say they they could harm us, and yeah, 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 I got all that. But but how do you inhabit that middle space? Well, you have to make room. For the other person, right? Whoever that other person turns out to be. And what we, we were studying the the parable of the Good Samaritan at Vox. Have you released the Vox podcast this week yet? The, uh, the teaching? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Came out oh, okay. on Monday. Okay. Nice. Yep. Um, oh, Justy wants to FaceTime. Uh-oh. Okay. Hold on. Hi, baby. Hi. Hey, we're recording a podcast right now. So say hello, internet. Oh, we're cutting uh, out. I love you. She's talking, but I can't. Yep, yeah, and she hangs <laughs> up, and she's out. <laughs> we haven't had a Justy phone call yeah, in the podcast it's in a been while. while. So, so we'll call you back, baby. Um, uh, all right, where was I? Hospitality, hospitality, hostility. Um, uh, mm. We would know Christians mm. um, by their love, by their love. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I was, I was, I was cooking. It something sounds up, like man. Go- you were going. Oh but, yeah, been you- Yeah, good Samaritan. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so uh, and it's this really, really, really subversive parable because Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to the person that hates Samaritans most in Jewish culture, which was the teacher of the law. And the question I was asking um, is, and I find very interesting, is who, who would Jesus, if he were telling that story to you, who would he use? And so, because the, the remember the, the religious, the teacher of the law guy said to Jesus, hey, um, um, who's my neighbor? So how far does love of neighbor actually go? And it was commonly thought in uh, Jewish culture that that was fellow Israelite. But but then there was... You know, is it is those Israelites that are ceremonially clean or those Israelites that are, that are, you know, whatever. I mean, so, so there were big debates even within that category. So Jesus tells a parable where the person that shows neighborly love is a Samaritan who is the, you know, the half breed religious false teacher in the mind of the teacher of the law, the person, the teacher of the law is going to hate the most. And so it was interesting to say, okay, who would Jesus use if he were telling me that parable? Right? Who's the person I hate the most, or the kind of person I hate the most? And if if you want to figure out the the move from hostility to hospitality, is to ask that question: Who's the person that you love least? So, uh, the kinds of people I hate most um, are uh, the people that harm people in the name of Jesus. So it's the pedophile priest. It's the uh, philandering pastor. It's the uh, money-hungry, grubbing Christian author with a platform, right? I mean, I just, I just can't stand. It's the, it's the, 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 the self-righteous Christian who makes no room for um, somebody who is seeking and struggling, right? I mean, I judge the judges. I judge the hell out of the judges. And, uh, and so it's, it's so funny. What's it mean for me? Uh, if I'm going to occupy the middle ground to move from hostility. So I have no problem with refugees. I have no problem with, um, with Muslims. I have no problem with gay people, right? It's the religious hypocrites right. that drive me nuts.
1: Like I could actually easily in my mind, imagine if I'm dying on the side of the road, I can have any number of my different religion, ethnicity, like, you know, gender friends coming after me, like right. in a heartbeat. Like that seems like, yeah, absolutely. right. I would imagine them doing that. And I love the point you're making
0: Well, no, it's just, it's, it's, but none of that counts as hospitality. Right. Right. Because Jesus, I mean, Jesus has this great line and it always so challenges me. He's like, what credit is it to you if you love those who love you? Right. Right. Even the tax collectors who were like scum in Israelite society, even tax collectors do that. You are to love your enemy. And so, so... Uh, one of the very tangible ways we love enemy or we show enemy love, it, it, that is it, in the same way we show neighbor love, is, is we make room around the table. We share meals. We hear stories. We get challenged by uh, people outside of our echo chamber. And that doesn't mean that all perspectives are equally valid. And it doesn't mean that we're just this mishmash of, hey, whatever, whatever somebody thinks is true is true for them. And whatever's true for me is true for me. I mean, we're not, I'm not saying that I'm just saying, listen, how do you occupy the middle space in an incredibly divided culture? Well, you, you can't see yourself as a victim, number one, and and you can't operate out of hostility and threat. You have to operate instead of love uh, and hospitality. And hospitality if it's going to bear the name christian is love of someone who's not like you so that is why syrian refugees matter that's why welcoming muslims matter uh that that is why um hearing the perspectives of gay people matter right i mean it, it's easy or black people or latino people i mean it's easy to sit and just have more white voices flooding the airwaves um it's just a lot harder to make space at the table for other people mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, I mean, and again, these are just, these are kind of obvious, no brainer things. Maybe I'm over talking them, but, um, a couple more and then we're done for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, I love how uh one writer put it. It's, it's the move from competition to collaboration. And that's within the church, because mm-hmm. one of the worst kept secrets of church life is that churches are in direct competition with each other. Uh, and that's because we we very rarely make new converts and, and most of the time just shuffle people that already believe. Um, and, uh, and so that's why when Christians get together, we rank people by how big their church is and how fast it's growing. Uh, it doesn't matter how godly the church is. Doesn't matter what fruit it's producing. We, we don't make lists of those churches. We make lists of the fastest growing and the biggest churches in America. Um, and so it's, it's tough for small churches to want to collaborate with big churches, uh, because big churches have uh, carry, whether they know it or not, a sense of superiority. And small churches, whether they know it or not, often carry a sense of inferiority because of this false ranking system uh, that goes on. But even beyond um, competition and collaboration within the evangelical circles, it's there's still Christians who refuse to collaborate with groups that aren't Christian. And that just seems insane to me, absolutely insane to me. You have people like one of the greatest examples of this is in the old testament i'm in the middle of the one-year bible and so i'm in leviticus uh and uh and and heading into numbers and i love this stuff i mean it's so weird and it's like god really really i mean this is just weird this is dumb um (laughs) and i mean dumb like not unimportant i don't mean it that way i just mean like this makes no sense to me, right. but one of the things that's so interesting is is how carefully the text makes sure that you know that some of the most skilled craftsmen for the things of God came from people outside of Israel. Mm. So they're they're just constantly repeating mm. the names of the people outside of Israel who were contributing to this whole temple operations, yeah. making making the skilled uh, the skilled sash and the finely woven undergarments and mm. and and it's just it, it's fascinating to me or or, or when. You know, you have Paul wandering around in Athens, and he could totally just launch into a condemnation of their whole religious culture, but instead starts by saying, "Man, I see that you're really religious." You know, he starts from a a common sort of place, And, and it seems like, and there are loads of us who who have gotten over that. The idea that we should not collaborate with non-Christians, which is just the dumbest thing ever, um, because, it, well, forget it, um, but but there's a sense in which for, for whatever holdouts there are in the idea that only Christian organizations do the best stuff or the right stuff, man, that thing's got to die if we're going to inhabit the 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 space, mm-hmm. not just between churches, but between those who uh, are fans of Jesus and those who are not. And and the only reason we do that, and this is the big one, Andy, Again, I'm quoting another writer. Um, I, I'm just quoting this phrase that I really thought was good. We need to move from a focus on cultural triumph to a focus on the common good. And mm. and so for too long, we've exhausted ourselves trying to win the culture war. Yeah. Uh, and um, and that culture war is on around sexuality and the culture war is around politics and gender identity and divorce and remarriage. And I mean, it's just, it's exhausting and, and, and it's... It's interesting because I haven't met um, many people under the age of 30 who care about the culture war. So even if we'd mm. won it, I don't know that, that that's something that's handed down well. Um, now, now, people are going to disagree with that. But, but the point I want to make is the, the focus on winning a culture war is far different from Jesus's call to make disciples. And we have focused on winning the culture war to the point where people have felt marginalized by our attempts to win it. And so instead of providing a witness to the beautiful Jesus and the good and beautiful God, what we've done instead has uh, created an environment where people just naturally, some naturally associate evangelical Christian with conservative Republican uh and and that is idolatry and that is um that is some of the biggest most corrupt ways that we could we could infect our witness to the watching world mm-hmm. that that you think you have to hold these political positions to follow Jesus of Nazareth i mean that is utterly insane and utterly foreign to the worldview of the bible and so so how do we inhabit how do we inhabit the space well we move from being competitors trying to win a culture war to being collaborators working for the common good. So That means that freedom of religion isn't just the freedom of Christian religion. It's the freedom of Muslims to worship and it's the freedom of Hindus to worship. And it's the freedom of atheists to do whatever atheists do. Right. Um, right? It, right. It's, if we're going to, if we're going to claim civil rights, it can't just be civil rights for this class of people. It's got to be civil rights for everybody.
1: Right. And, and it's interesting if you actually filter that through common good, You know, then it it helps to kind of um, uh, disembody the radicals, you know, because it's like that's where we we, I think where we get it wrong, because then someone says, oh, so you want to give, you know, free speech and free religious right to Muslims. So you're saying that you want ISIS to exist. You know, that that's where that conversation goes. But then, like, the, the majority of the Muslim camp says, like, you know, ISIS is your equivalent KKK. You know for them right, So right, it's kind right, of like In right. that scary way It's like Okay sure That can And does exist But that does not Support the common good So you push back at it Yeah You know so, so, here's, so Right y-
0: so, so here's an email We got yesterday Here's a text question We got yesterday Yeah That's making precisely The point you're countering Okay So it was Please note This was texted in Oh yeah From the Good Samaritan Please note One Jesus warned us About false prophets And 600 years later Muhammad shows up First of all, those weren't the false prophets that Jesus was talking about, but we'll, okay, neither here nor there. Number two, Allah does not have a son named Jesus. Islam makes that clear, correct? He is a prophet named Jesus. Number three, Islam did not spread from Mecca via community outreach and bake sales. This is indisputable, okay? When dealing with Islamic immigrants, why do you choose the Good Samaritan story versus the warning in 2 John? And I I don't know what warning there is in 2 John. Let me fire up 2 John here. What duty do Christians have to let wolves into the sheepfold? Okay, so let me fire up a little uh, website called Bible Gateway. And (laughs) this is happening in real time. Uh, I once we once did an easter service off campus off a church campus we did at a high school and uh there was a service that we needed we rented porta potties and it was called first john which i thought i thought that was <laughs> i thought that was funny oh
1: man that's a crappy joke
0: oh dang <laughs> all right here uh, let's see here. It's giving me, that so we love one another, obedience to my commands. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any person, uh, is the deceiver and the antichrist, which, which is interesting. So there's more than one antichrist. That's mm-hmm. it. Well, that's interesting. Uh, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may re- be rewarded carefully. Uh, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So this is clearly talking about Christian false teachers. This is not talk or, or people who've claimed to be Christians. So this isn't talking about other religions, but let's let's let the point hold. So the question is, why would I use the story of the good Samaritan instead of that warning to talk about immigration? Why why would you talk about somebody people who, according to this person, are false teachers? Well, it's precisely because the Good Samaritan considered the teacher of the Jewish law a false teacher, and the teacher of the Jewish law considered the Samaritan a false teacher. And it was fascinating that Jesus chose the person who in the eyes of the other would have been the biggest religious hypocrite and the biggest false teacher imaginable, but he chose that person to demonstrate what it meant to show neighborly love. It's because that is what compassion looks like. What John is warning people about are people who claim to be Christian but who genuinely are not. So, when we talk about the common good, we're talking about the common good for the common good, not just the Christian good. And this idea that we're letting wolves into the sheepfold, are you kidding me? What sheepfold are you talking about? This has never been a Christian nation. This has never been a nation of Christians. This has been a nation that's had a Christian veneer for a while, but for crying out loud, right? We've talked about this before. Were we a Christian nation when we held slaves? Were we a Christian nation when we were pillaging uh, Native Americans? were we a Christian nation when we wouldn't let black people use a, a, a white restroom? When, when exactly were we a Christian nation? Uh, back before uh, women's rights. Yes, they, exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't let women vote. I mean, come on. So anyway, I'll, answer, when we, that. I'll, we, I'll we, answer that more gently, uh, during the service.
1: And when we put in God, we trust on the quarter. Yes. That's when we were but
0: that was change. the Illuminati because there's the pyramid. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. Uh, if, if, If we haven't, I assume we've either offended you or we've put you to sleep. It's got to be one of those two. Uh, You're still listening. It's an hour in. I'm cutting us off, Mr. Andy. Um, Where would you rate this episode? 10 being best episode we've done, one being uh, the worst episode we've done, which I don't think we've hit yet. (laughs) I think we still have, I think we have room to get worse. Where Uh, would you rank this one?
1: Hey, I I think this is you know maybe I'm gonna go a seven, a
0: seven. I'll say a seven. Okay, all right. But
1: I think this is I think this is a a good continued extension of our playlist of you know Jesus and politics. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right. This one fits. All right. So
0: so um, Vox people, just give us a number. And uh, just that—that's all we want. It's just a number,
1: just a number, just a number. When when I tweet out the episode on, right. on Monday, just just, just a hit that reply button and just right. throw us a number.
0: Yes, and and ten is good, and one is bad. Just to be clear, yeah. unless we get a lot of ones, and then I will reverse the scale in my head. <laughs> um, so brothers and sisters, you know, uh, the the joy we have is in knowing that that this this uh, podcast occupies uh, a lot of middle space when we look at the the breadth of our audience and the kinds of people who listen from the, the as left as you can go to as right as you can go. It is a pleasure for us to try to inhabit and to practice inhabiting middle space in the way that we do this. So... Uh, to that end, we are always grateful for your feedback, for your listening, and uh, and so let's do a little blessing, Andy. Let's do it.
1: Yep, and uh, keep, and I, I'm going to say, what? I'm going to say this, it's important, so keep your eyes on the website, because live show's coming. Yes. Live show's coming. I just got my date and location confirmation. Whoa, we did? Yeah, so it's coming.
0: We, oh, wow. Yep. Okay. In so, about a month. So if you're if you're still listening points for you first of all in the kingdom of God but secondly there's a live show coming I'm just I'm hearing about this now yep this is real time this is real just time just like second John it, this is real
1: time but when we started this podcast I wasn't sure we started the podcast and now I'm
0: sure wow that's how real this is alright I'm gonna I'm gonna open Facebook and see what the first thing that comes up is <laughs> okay I'm just and, read, and read that as and the read blessing alright here we go here we go okay this is the first thing El Castel de Guadalest is the name of a town which, during the Middle Ages and until 1609, was inhabited by Muslims and Spanish Moors. It is hard to believe that this castle was built on top of this mountain, despite the height we were able to enjoy and make it to the top. In Jesus' name, amen. Till next time.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now, support us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/BoxPodcast.